Let's continue in worship by taking our Bibles and turning to the 13th chapter of Matthew. 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. If you're visiting with us today, we're so glad you're here. We hope that sometime during the service you'll take a minute to fill out the information requested there in the worship guide and uh, you can turn it in next week's offering but uh, or leave it with us today sometime. But it's good to be with you today. Last fall, we began a series of looking in the Old Testament, 1st and 2nd Samuel, where the nation of Israel declared, we want a king. We want to be like other nations. So we talked about King David and how he was a picture of the king, the true king who would come. During Advent season, we looked at the coming of Jesus, our king, and uh, we looked at that during as his coming uh, during the Advent season. And now since the beginning of the year, we've been looking at the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of Christ. Uh, Kobe introduced the series several weeks ago and said that uh, we're studying this kingdom, the kingdom of God, or as in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus referred to it, which was oftentimes a central message of what Jesus talked about, his kingdom, the coming of his kingdom. So we want to understand theologically the kingdom of Christ, but more than information in our heads, we want to be a people who are quick to surrender joyfully and give our lives to our king and to the ways of his kingdom. We've looked at several things. Kobe mentioned the kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It's seemingly unexpected and surprising in nature. A kingdom ruled by love and grace. God's kingdom is a kingdom of reconciliation and restored peace. And ultimately, God's kingdom is a kingdom to be received or rejected. Last week, Tim Brister was here with us, and he said that the kingdom of God should be the passionate pursuit of every disciple. The passionate pursuit of every disciple. We're to pursue the kingdom where we work, where we live and where we play. And he reminded us, we pursue things that we value. Now, when Kobe and I began to talk about this series and the kingdom, I knew which sermon I wanted to preach first. And that's the one we're looking at today. Because we pursue things that we value. So look in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus, speaking of this kingdom, said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Father, thank you. Thank you for your kingdom. God, it's hard this morning even to wrap our minds around what we have just read. But God, give us grace to do that. Lord, help us to see the value of the kingdom. Help us to see that, Lord, what you have called us to is not some everyday experience. God, what you've called us to Lord, it's not just another milestone along the life journey, but it's a fork in the road. God, where we choose and enter into your kingdom 
And we go that way, forsaking everything else. God, we desire to do that in a way that's pleasing to you. God, help us today. Lord, help us to understand this. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want us to see this morning that the kingdom is a treasure that is to be valued above all else. Now, these two parables that Jesus gives us, he gives us no explanation. Does he have to? (laughs) Does he need to explain what he's saying? No. As Adrian Rogers would say, it's profoundly simple and simply profound. I mean, when you think about what Jesus said in terms of the kingdom of heaven, two parables. The first parable is about a man who was not looking for treasure, but he happens upon it. He found it. And when he finds it, he doesn't steal it. We have to give him credit for that. But he hides the treasure. Then he goes and sells everything that he has and he buys that field because he knows there's a treasure there. The treasure was found unexpectedly. This man was not out in a field digging for treasure. Now we don't know the circumstance. Perhaps he was a hired hand, a common laborer, and he was plowing somebody else's field. Or maybe like it was oftentimes, he was just passing through this field. There weren't a lot of roads and sidewalks, but he was just passing through another man's field on his way to work or wherever. And as he's walking along, he kicks the dirt maybe and, hey, (laughs) there's treasure. But he finds it unexpectedly. Regardless of how he found it, he discovered something that would change his life. Don't miss the point of this simple parable. He discovered something that would change his life. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that treasure. You know, today there are those who come into the kingdom almost as if it were by surprise. They weren't looking for God, but God found them. Think of the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul was a very religious man. He was what we would call a religious zealot. He thought he knew God. He thought he was pleasing God. He wasn't looking for Jesus on the road to Damascus, but as he was traveling to Damascus to arrest Christians and throw them in jail, doing what he thought was right, Jesus revealed himself to the apostle Paul. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus found Paul. I think many today have a similar experience. There are those who for many years have been satisfied with a form of religion, Yes, they profess Christ and even would say today in light of our sermon, yes, we do. We treasure Christ. But if the truth were to be told that Christ would be just one of many treasures in their life, one of many. Then one day, by God's grace, they realized they're religious but lost. That was my story. I grew up in the church started going to church nine months before I was born. You know my story. But one day as a freshman in college, I realized that I called myself a Christian, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know Christ. Now others, I think along this way, you know, again, in this light of the, this kingdom story, there are others who, there's some who are religious in the church, but then there are others who are far from the church and they definitely aren't looking for Jesus. They definitely aren't looking for anything religious. And they're out there living their life without God. And and then by God's grace, 
Like a friend of mine, a former teammate, he, he stumbled upon a track that his little boy brought home from daycare. And he began to read that track. And he gave his heart to Jesus. He wasn't looking for Jesus, but God found him. The kingdom of God found by those who weren't looking for it. There's some, maybe who are here today, and somebody invited you, and you don't even know why you're here. And you're not looking for the kingdom, but God brought you here today. And God has some good news for you. Or maybe you're here as a religious person for your weekly, hour-long dose of God. <laughs> you know, the old poem, just give me $3 worth of God. You know, I don't want to enough of God to change my life. I don't want enough of God to be radical. Just give me a small dose of God. And you're happy with your religious experience. I want to assure you today, there's so much more to the kingdom. And as I, as I preach this message this morning, I'm convicted myself because Keith, you know, I know there's so much more to the kingdom than we experience on a day-to-day -day basis. There's so much more available to every one of us. A kingdom that is worth forsaking everything we own in order to be a part of that kingdom. I believe God today wants to change your life, my life, by coming to the realization that his kingdom is the most valuable thing in the world. The kingdom is a treasure that is to be valued above all else. Finding the kingdom. Some stumble upon it like the guy in verse 44. How about seeking the kingdom like the merchant in 45 and 46? This man, the first man, was, uh, the first man seemingly is not out looking for treasure when he finds a treasure. But the second man is really different. He is actively seeking fine pearls. He's actively, actively seeking fine pearls when he comes across the mother of all pearls, the pearl of great price. Notice the merchant is seeking not just any pearls, but fine pearls, fine pearls. His goal is to find the finest pearls available. He's on a search. See, pearls were extremely valuable in that day. The Jewish Talmud spoke of pearls as being beyond price. And history tells us that some Egyptians and Romans actually worshipped pearls because they were so valuable. So this merchant had his sights set high. He was seeking fine pearls and he was seeking them with diligence. You know, he didn't just open up shop, put up a sign, say, I'll buy your pearls. You bring them in, I'll buy them. No, he was out looking, seeking for pearls, fine pearls. But notice what his expectations were. He was looking for pearls, P-A-P-E-A-R-L-S. There's an S, pearls, plural. Here's the deal. He had no idea in all of his experience as a pearl merchant, he had no idea that he could ever find one pearl that would be more valuable than anything he ever possessed. He had no idea there was even a pearl that existed like that. He was not expecting to find that pearl. You know, there are many people today who are actively looking for good things in life. And they want to have a life of value. And the good things they're seeking for are worthwhile. 
I believe our churches are full of good people seeking good things. They know they ought to be in church. It's good to be a part of a church. It makes me feel better. It's a good thing to do. They want to be honest, hardworking, good people. We live in the South. We're in the Bible Belt. It's good for business. It's good for your political career. It's always amazing how politicians want to come to church around election time. I mean, they, people, you know, they weren't born at night, last night. But, you know, it's, it's good for you. There are a lot of good things, good people. They want to have a good job, nice family, and a good home. They want to raise their children right, to keep them off drugs, keep them out of jail. They're truly seeking and looking for good things in life. But they have no idea that there's a treasure to be found that would be more valuable than all the good things that the world has to offer. There is a treasure that is more valuable than all the good things that the world has to offer. Now, they're different from the man who stumbled upon the treasure in verse 44. They're seeking. They're looking for good things. And for many people, that leads them to the church. That leads them to the church. Because they think good things are found with good people in a good place. But let me tell you this. Good things are not enough. They will never get us into the kingdom of heaven. There's one treasure that demands our all. The kingdom is a treasure that's to be valued above all else. Both of these guys did whatever was necessary to make a purchase. And we're going to call that this morning entering the kingdom. We see that in both instances, both parables. Once the treasure was found, they both were willing to sell everything they owned to make the purchase. You see, the kingdom is a treasure that is to be valued above all else. The first man found a treasure that was more valuable than anything he possessed. So look at that. He joyfully sold all that he had to make the purchase. Can you wrap your mind around that? Have you ever tried to sell everything you've got? I haven't. But in a similar way, the merchant found one pearl that was all in one. Now, both of these men decided that the treasure they found was worth everything they had. The merchant would sell all his other pearls, all the other pearls, and indeed all that he owned to go and buy one pearl. He was determined to have it. He would let all the other pearls go in order to have this one pearl. Let everything else go. See, that's how Paul describes the kingdom. That's how Paul describes his relationship with Jesus. Jared read it a while ago. Philippians 3.8, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All things to be lost. Church, I think for many of us, you know, we read that, we say, yeah, amen, amen. But are we there? Are we there? Is that our story? See, when we come to Christ, we recognize God says, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me or your whole heart. You know, when I was coming along, people used to say, well, you tried drugs, you tried alcohol, tried Jesus. It doesn't work like that. 
We come to him with all that we are. He is the treasure. William Hendrickson said, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure so inestimably precious that one who obtains it is willing to surrender for it whatever could interfere with having it. Is that up there? Yes. We're blank back there. Okay. Yes. Read that. Ponder that. Whatever could interfere with having it. Jesus put it like this. If any man come after me, any man, not just the spiritually elite, but if any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily, an emblem of death, and follow me. See, we have so sugar-coated the gospel and watered down the kingdom. I think that's one of the reasons the world's not very interested. I think that's one of the reasons that we treat the gospel so casually. Jesus never did that. The scripture doesn't do that. If any man comes after me, let him deny himself, take his cross and follow me. Let me ask you, have you come to realize the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus? We must treasure our relationship with Christ above all else. And I, as I was writing this and putting this together, I'll share my thoughts at the end, but uh, this is mind-boggling, life-changing. When the merchant found the pearl, he did whatever was necessary to make the purchase. Why? The kingdom is a treasure that is to be valued above all else. What did he do? They both went and sold all that he had. Listen, it took him all of his life to accumulate all of his possessions, but they were all gone in a matter of hours. Can you imagine this? With great excitement, he went to his fellow merchants, buy these pearls. I have to have some money. You buy these pearls. After he sold all his pearls, he went to his neighbors, buy my farm, buy my livestock, buy my furniture. All that I have is for sale. It's like these furniture stores always going out of business every other month. Everything must go, except he really meant it. (laughs) Everything must go. I mean, that's mind boggling, is it not? To sell everything that he had. He must have money to buy that pearl. Can you imagine this sale and then he gets the money and he makes the purchase? Can you imagine the smile on his face? Quick story, my dad was a truck driver and he'd haul cattle out west and every now and then he'd bring me back a horse or a pony from a livestock from a barn. He brought me back a Shetland pony one time. This was a Welch pony named Jingles. And I'd ride around our neighborhood. I know our neighbors loved us having a horse in the backyard. But uh, I rode it around and Val was in that fourth grade with me. And Val liked Jingles, so she wanted to buy Jingles. I said, okay, I'll sell Jingles to you for $100. I didn't think she'd pay, but her mother came to the back door and I still remember standing outside our kitchen, holding out my hand and she laid five $20 bills in my palm. I smiled and said, goodbye jingles. A hundred dollars for a fourth grade kid, man, goodbye jingles. That compares nothing with the joy. (laughs) This man, he smiled with each sale knowing that he was that much closer to buying the treasure of his life. Listen to this. He was happier to get rid of his possessions than he ever was to obtain them. Away they went. 
at the best price he could get. But they all, they must all go. He must have the money to buy the pearl. Now, how is the kingdom of God like that? Well, I think Jim Elliott said it best. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me ask you this morning, just a couple, what hinders our pursuit of the kingdom? What is it in our lives that we have to be willing to let go of? Now, only you can answer that question, but I thought of a couple of common things, I think, that keep people from treasuring the kingdom the way we should. Number one would be our perceptions of God. You know, most people in the South, we know there's a God, but we want to come to him on our own terms. If we were to be honest, we see ourselves as the center of the universe. And God is simply here to meet our needs. So when we need him, we'll call on him. And we don't need him, we don't call on him. We don't really treasure that relationship. The thinking is, in our misconception of God, if I'm a good person, if I'm a good parent, and I say I believe the right things, then I'm okay. It seems that we're willing to ignore what the Bible says about who God really is. See, how we truly think about God, we call that theology. What we believe impacts how we behave. If we really believe what the Bible said about God, I think some of us would behave differently. For many, we have a wrong thing. We say, oh, God is a man upstairs. I'm okay with him and he's okay with me. But just let me remind you that he is the creator God, the holy sovereign God. He is worthy of all of our love and devotion. And to enter into his kingdom would be the greatest privilege known to man. To know the living God personally as the gospel offers us the opportunity. Some need to let go of their perceptions of God. I think another thing that keeps us out is our prideful attitudes. We have to swallow our pride first to be honest about where we are with God. To humble ourselves before God and before the church. To say, you know, I thought I had it right. But you know, this kingdom thing is really worth whatever pride I have to swallow. It's worth humbling myself to know that I am in the kingdom of God. (laughs) I'm willing to let go of everything. I'm willing to swallow my pride to say I didn't have it right, but I want it right today. I want to know that I'm in the kingdom of God. We have to be willing to humble ourselves in the sight of God. Some people are prideful enough to think that by my presence here today, I'm simply doing God a favor. You know, God ought to be pleased with me. I was able to suit up and show up today and be with Christians and I'm going to go home and watch the Super Bowl tonight. Our pride. I'm a person of reputation and standing. I'm a good man. I'm a good woman. Take pride in our righteousness. What does the Bible say about our righteousness? They're like filthy rags. We can never do enough to earn the favor of God. The privilege of entering into his kingdom. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy has he saved us. 
We have to let go of our pride. For others, it's a little more practical. We have to let go of our possessions. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with possessions. You know, Jesus asked the rich young ruler to let go of everything he owned because he knew that was his treasure. There's nowhere else does Jesus make that requirement. But you know, our possessions can become our treasures. When we treasure our possessions, and possessions, I'm thinking about here, possessions, materially, relationships, a desire for personal pleasure. When we treasure those things more than the kingdom of God, we have a problem. Anything. See, our own resources have to become His. You say, well, preacher, how do you do that? Well, you just don't treasure them. You make them available. You realize that you are a steward of what God... 10%? No. God doesn't want 10%. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. 100%. I gave up on 10% when I stopped cutting grass as a kid. And I began to realize that you cannot outgive God. He doesn't have 10% of our income. He has it all. He lets us live off what he gives us. And I'm not saying that to brag, but you know, you can't outgive God. It's a blessing to have possessions that belong to him. A.W. Tozer said, it doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian, but it takes all there is of him. Isn't that good? takes all there is of him. Isn't that the point of the parable? That the kingdom is a treasure that is to be valued above all else. Our possessions. How about our personal comfort? This is where God nailed me. Personal comfort is one of our most precious possessions. God calls us to get out of our comfort zone in order to follow him. Our precious possessions can be things or pleasures. And if we're, again, honest, some of our pleasures are not exactly pleasing to the Lord. And there are pleasures in our life that we know interfere with our walk with Christ. Just calling it like it is. We have habitual sin in our life that we cling to. We know we need to let it go. We know we need to be right with God. We know that we need to have power over this sin in our life, but we continue to cling to it. But we must let it go if we're going to walk intimately with the Lord. Charles Spurgeon reminded his congregation in terms of habitual sin. He said, when you sin, sin boldly, because you're saying that sin means more to you than the cross of Christ. Ouch. Do we have areas of our life that we know we need to let go of if we're going to truly treasure the kingdom? Lastly, some of us need to let go of our own personal plans. So we look to the future and we have our lives all mapped out. We have our minds set on the good things of life. We'll go to school, we'll get married, we'll have a career, we'll have a family, we'll retire, we'll enjoy life. We got everything lined up and we're working toward that end. And we treasure our plans more than we treasure the kingdom. And then there's nothing wrong with any of these plans. But let me ask you, is that God's plan for your life or is that your plan? Have you surrendered those plans to the Lord? Jesus gives us a great plan for life in Matthew 6.33. Brother Tim 
told us that last week. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. That's the biblical plan for life. To seek first his kingdom. Where we work, where we live, where we work and where we play. To treasure his kingdom above all our personal plans. The merchant gladly parted with his pearls because he knew the pearl of great price was worth it. He knew it was worth it. As I finish up, let me say, I think this may be our problem. Is the kingdom really worth the price? Can we gladly part with anything that competes with the Lord's work in our life? That's what Paul said. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So church, here's a question. Do we understand the surpassing value of knowing Jesus? Can we say that everything else is rubbish? And we consider all things to be rubbish. Francis Chan says, Part of the reason we've created a culture of non-committal Christianity that avoids suffering is that we don't treasure him enough. Listen to this. We want Jesus, but there are limits to what we will sacrifice for him. We want him but there are lots of things we want in life. When we truly understand what Jesus did for us, the sacrifice he made on our behalf, and the incomparable beauty of the eternal life promised to those who endure, we can't help but fall in love with him to the point where it actually becomes a joy and desire to give our lives in return. Now don't un- misunderstand me this morning. <laughs> I'm not trying to sell you anything. Do you understand that? I'm not trying to persuade you. I can't do that. What I want to do is show you from the word of God how precious this kingdom is. And to let you know this morning, it's available to to you, to me, to all of us. This precious, valuable kingdom. The kingdom is a treasure that is to be valued above all else. What does it mean? I, I... you know, Chan said the incomparable beauty of the eternal life promised. Yes, there's eternal life in this kingdom, but there's so much more. Unconditional love, but there's so much more. Peace that surpasses all understanding. That was the first thing God did for me. I had ulcers when I was 15 years old. I was a chronic worrier. But when I came to know Jesus, I found peace that surpasses all understanding. How about fellowship with the Father through the Son? How about a family, a family of like-minded believers? All of this is just a small portion of the treasure, the value of the kingdom of God. Verse 44, for joy, from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, I'd like to have my mind just wonder and see that guy. It was a joyful purchase. Again, wouldn't you like to have a picture? See, a picture of what of his face, what he looked like when he held that pearl in his hand for the first time. It was a joyful purpose, purchase. It was a final purchase. This guy went out of the pearl business. 
He didn't need any other pearls. It was a profitable purchase. He was a merchant. He was a merchant. His goal was to make money. And when he made this purchase, he says, I've got more than I've ever had before. Why? Because the kingdom is a treasure that is to be valued above all else. This kingdom, look at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down. And like good fishermen, they gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not trying to sell you anything this morning. I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm just telling you what the word of God says about the value of the kingdom and the danger of missing the kingdom. How highly do we value the kingdom? Are we trusting in a church membership, maybe a prayer we prayed or a card we filled out one day a long time ago? Or is our confidence in a current, living, active, saving trust in Jesus Christ alone? A faith that's reflected by the things we treasure and by the way we live. Let me tell you what the Lord said to my heart. He stirred me to want, to want him more. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said it best, I thirst to be made thirsty. I hunger to be made hungry. Church, I want to want him more. He convicted me of putting too much value on other things. Good things, but too much value on good things. And I could name a list of those things, but my list would probably be different from yours. The kingdom is a treasure that is to be valued above all else. Kobe said it best in the first sermon. His kingdom is a kingdom to be received or rejected. With all the earnestness in my heart, I'm not trying to sell you. I'm just trying to show you that God's kingdom is precious. And those who would enter that kingdom, maybe not fully, totally, because again, it's hard to wrap our minds around the total value of that kingdom, but we will treasure that kingdom. That kingdom is life-changing. It's not a treasure worthy to be put up on a shelf with all our other treasures. It doesn't work like that. The kingdom of God is a treasure that is worth everything we own to possess it. Is it yours today? Are you in the kingdom? Do you know the king? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you that you have loved us enough to reveal your kingdom to us through your word.